0: Well, good morning, my friends, both here in the room, in the live stream at our parishes. What a fantastic morning to be together. Good morning, Samuel.
1: Good morning, Colin.
0: All right. So you'll notice that there's two of us up here today, and that makes me really excited. So we're in week three of our Peace Be With You series, and um, I think I'm a relatively familiar face. I'm Carmen Buchma. I'm a senior pastor here. It's fantastic to teach today, but... I am not alone. I'm with Samuel, and I want to introduce Samuel to you. I hope many of you know him or have been introduced to him. Samuel is our discipleship pastor. Samuel, how long have you been with us now? I've lost track.
1: Uh, Yesterday turned six months to the day I arrived in the GT. Happy
0: half birthday. Oh, thank you. I should have got you a cake or something. I forgot. I had no idea. You can still get it after. (laughs) (laughs) So, Samuel's our discipleship pastor. It's been such a treat to have him on our staff, already doing fantastic work with our elders, our home churches, giving uh, strategy, heart, and passion to who we are as a church when it comes to discipleship. Samuel's married. You have three lovely daughters who I have have the privilege of getting to know. I think they're all awesome. I hope you think the same.
1: Ask your mother.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and along with being our discipleship pastor, Samuel has this incredible passion for peacemaking. You'll learn as he shares some stories this morning, and hopefully as you get to know him over the years of you being here, there's a passage passion, but also a depth of knowledge when it comes to peace, justice, and reconciliation. So I'm really excited for you to share a little bit with us today. But before we kind of do that, I just want to kind of jump in and start, recap for us where we find ourselves. If you have the notes, you'll see this in your notes as well. We, and maybe you're just joining us for the first time, we're in week three of our Peacemaker series. Uh, the this, this series is titled Peace Be With You. And you can see we're on week three. We've been breaking that down, looking at the different elements of what does it mean to actually be a peacemaker? What does that look like for us as followers of Jesus? And what does that mean? And we've been trying to line this up, not perfectly, but we're also aware that as a church, we're in our peacemaker campaign. And so we intentionally have these conversations side by side to say, as we're trying to be mobilized as a church, with radical generosity and creativity to be peacemaking agents in the communities we find ourselves, we wanna wrestle with that and talk about it and look at it theologically. So week one, we just talked about, okay, so theologically, what is the theology of peace? What does Jesus actually have to say to us about the idea of peace and being being a peacemaker? And last week, if you were here, if you caught it on our live streams, Quincy and and Steve were here just talking about that idea of being, of the presence, of what does it mean to be in our places, our neighborhood places, and being agents of peace there. And this week, we're just going to continue to build on that. It just continues to build. Quincy and Steve did a lot of groundwork for us to talk about that idea of presence, of being with. And so that's where we find ourselves today, and I want us to start by looking at those words of Jesus that actually shaped for us the title of our series here. So in John 20, you can see on the slide, these are the words of Jesus. And he says to his disciples, and we'll talk a bit about the context in a minute, but peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So it's not like we just kind of came up with a title. We wanted to continue to follow the words of Jesus as we shape what it means to be A peacemaker. So let's dive into that. So, Samuel, as we look at the context here of John 20, these words of Jesus that say, Peace be with you, take us through that a bit. What comes to your mind? Teach us a little bit from this passage.
1: Yeah. Uh, Before we dive into the passage, or before I dive into talking about the passage itself, I, I want us to imagine. That these two words were the first words spoken by Jesus. This couple of words were the first words spoken by Jesus on the day of his, the first day of his resurrection. And today we have the privilege of actually looking right through the corridors of history and we look at, oh, yeah, we know this was spoken by Jesus. But bear this in mind that earlier in the day, John and Peter and the disciples were all locked up behind closed doors. They were all sitting in fear because the event of the weekend has really rattled every sense of being in them. The event of the crucifixion of Jesus, the event of knowing that this Jesus, their teacher, this prophet, who has taught, who has healed many, who has done countless miraculous things, all of a sudden, is crucified, buried, And now what? So these disciples are all at a loss. And being at a loss, they don't even know what to do, where to go. And then all of a sudden, on that same very fateful morning, Mary Magdalene came running and saying to them, He is not there. They have stolen his body. Can you imagine the emotional sense of after uh, the emotional sense of being wrecked completely? They were hoping that this Jesus that said had proclaimed he was going to resurrect had proclaimed all of this, and so these disciples were hiding behind closed doors. And when they heard the words of Mary, John and James, uh, John and Peter and John raced right through the town I want you to imagine Peter and John with the eerie feeling of what is going on or what has taken place with the sense of emotion the brokenness the sense of we don't know how this this is going to turn out but if they have stolen his body finally we know we're not sure of all the teachings that he's been talking about what now what are we going to do so they ran to the grave and they raced and the, the story in John really describes it so well. It says they ran and Peter, John kind of overran Peter and so when, when, when they got to there, when they got to the tomb, John kind of paused. And Peter came bolting. I imagine a cartoon. You know, for those of you that, that have watched cartoons, I imagine a cartoon. That if you if you watch Road, Road Runner, now I'm dating myself. Yeah, I imagine you come and bolting. Peter probably knock off John and run into the uh, into the tomb, and finally he got the deja vu moment. Can you picture Peter? coming back to the rest of the disciples and saying, yes, it is true they have stolen his body because we can see the cloth that he was wrapped in. And so that further intensified the terror, the fear of what will happen to this? What what is going to happen to us? Are the Jewish leaders going to now come and arrest us? And now when Jesus all of a sudden behind closed doors showed up and says, peace, peace, be with you. When you say peace be with you, then you are actually saying, let God's rest, comfort, wholeness, and assurance go with you. I'll say that again. Let God's comfort, rest, wholeness, and assurance go with you. That means in every area of your life. But I assure you, these disciples have no any reason to sense that sense of God's comfort because these here are they are hopeless. And sometimes in our own very lives, we find ourselves in a situation like the disciples. The situation of life has probably knocked us off and we found ourselves behind closed doors and locked and shut and somebody is probably whispering, peace be with you. And you're going, what are you talking about? But something about the presence of Jesus that cast away fear. If you look at this slide here, the, the, the presence of Jesus showing up behind that door, in the behind closed doors with all the fear and all the signs and all that sense of we don't know what. And here is Jesus saying, peace be with you. The presence of Jesus immediately is meant to cast away the fear of all the anxiety of, the, of what had happened throughout the weekend. The, that sense of knowing that finally what Jesus had said about himself will come to, has come to fruition. And this kind of takes me back to the story of uh, in John chapter 8, the story of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And you know, the, 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 the scripture in John accounted, they dragged her to, rulers of the Lord dragged her before Jesus and they were about to stone her. And can you imagine the kind of fear and terror that this woman was going through? And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, if you, who has no sin, cast the first stone and they were gone. And Jesus said to this woman, go and sin no more. The presence of Jesus in the face with this woman cast away every single fear that she ever had. At the same time, if you remember back in the same, Luke gives us the account of Jesus encountering Peter. When he said to them, Put, throw your net on the other side. And so when Peter scooped up all this fish, he said, oh, depart from me, I am a sinful man. And instead of Jesus really confirming or affirming all that Peter Peter's fear was Jesus said to him I will make you fishers of men It's fascinating what the presence of Jesus can do to us. The presence of Jesus not only casts away fear, but it brings peace through challenges. We know that in the account of this story, we find that in this story that these disciples were in a time of turmoil in their own personal life. They were afraid of what is about to happen. They are afraid of, should now that this teacher is gone, maybe let's go back to our own fishing business. But we have already been marked by people. We have already been been identified as the followers of the way. How can we then go through life in this present moment? And the presence of Jesus when he says, peace be with you. He says, even through these challenges, the peace of God, the peace that I live will be with you. The presence of God, the peace of God Brings the presence of purpose. Wow. All of a sudden, when Jesus showed up in that room and behind the closed doors, when he said, utters those words, peace be with you. All of a sudden, he said, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. All of a sudden, the disciples that are all down and discouraged, they are almost having a sense of hopelessness, now have a new sense of purpose. And the new sense of purpose is to go and do what God has called them to do. And to go, not only to go, but he promised that his presence will always give them purpose. Friends, when I think about all of this different uh, points that I've just mentioned, and that's not all. This is not exhaustive by any means, but the presence of Jesus casts away fear. The presence of Jesus takes us through challenges. And the presence of Jesus Gives us purpose.
0: Yeah. I, well, there you go, guys. I don't, I can, this is great, Samuel. It's so good. And I think what we need to, I'm just sort of stunned, right? Like, preach it. It's amazing. The, I think where you're taking us is somewhere really significant. And you and I talked about the Great Commission, which I want to get to yeah. in just a minute. But you've laid a great fa- foundation. And I want us to follow here with what Samuel's saying. We look at what Jesus, the context within which Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, And the presence of Jesus does everything you just said for them, but he does that for us too. And I want you to think for just a minute, a circumstance maybe like the disciples, that sense of like impending doom of everything they'd put their hope in, everything that they had followed has been essentially at this point for them taken. And they don't know what's next. And like Samuel has said, they go and hide behind a locked door. And are there stories and circumstances in your lives, in our lives, where that's just what we wanna do? Like, forget this, I just wanna be behind a locked door. But the presence of Jesus does those very same things for you too. There's a casting out of fear. We don't need to hold on to fear. And there's a, there's a promise that there's a presence through whatever challenges we're experiencing even behind those locked doors. And then there's a call to something greater. There's a call to action. And I want us to understand the significance of Jesus' presence for us. Because that's almost step one as we talk about peacemaking and this idea of uh, presence, of being with. This idea of Jesus' presence being known in our lives is what allows us to then do that last point that you said of that call into the presence of purpose. So let's go there a little bit, this idea of, so what is it, what's the purpose that Jesus calls us to? You said there, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Let's run with that a little bit. Take us a little further. And you know,
1: when Jesus stood behind those, eh, eh, behind the closed doors along with them without unlocking the door, when he says, as the Father sends me, so I am sending you. He was, Jesus was not sending them all alone. He was not sending them to go by themselves. He says, I am with you. And the with is an assurance that wherever they go, whatever they do, whatever they say, they are not only saying it because they are on their own, yeah. but they have the backing, the presence, the anointing and the Spirit of Jesus along with them. We see that in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus was ascended unto heaven, he says, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he made that same promise, and I will be with you. The emphasis is not only on the I, but with, with I shows the presence, but with, again, shows the accompaniment of Jesus in, in in, in, in the event of proclaiming the gospel, in the event of making disciples. So we see Jesus sends us to bring peace to this broken world by first of all loving and forgiving each other. You know, oftentimes we think we can proclaim peace, 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 but it is easy to talk about peacemaking and proclaiming peace. But in within ourselves, the first step to proclaiming this peace is to love and forgive each other where wrong has been done. Hmm. I know for myself, I personally, I, as somebody who is really passionate about peacemaking, I long, I, I am, when I know somebody is not happy with me, or I have stepped on somebody's toes which I do almost every day of my life. But what I do is, what I know is, I long to seek to live in peace by seeking for forgiveness. Because when I do that, it allows me to be able to sleep peacefully. Because I'm that kind of person that if I know somebody's mad at me or something is not going well, I cannot just Pretend as if nothing, uh, that nothing is uh, happening. I will humbly go ask. And for me, it is out of a conviction. So the, the commission that Jesus is calling us is to love and forgive each other first, before we even think about proclaiming the gospel to the outside world. And in loving each other and forgiving each other, which is very challenging. Friends, I'm not making light of this. This is not a walk in the park or some kind of a cakewalk to say, oh, I forgive. And, and we've, sometimes we've turned, as followers of Jesus, we've turned this forgiveness to be a cliche. We've turned it into, oh, yeah, I forgive you. But the next time you do it, I remind you that you remember you did it the last time and I forgive, forgive you. You can't do this again. Did you really forgive? The presence of Jesus that calls us with a purpose begins with loving and forgiving. And the second, and you remember, before I even get to the second point, you remember when Peter, Peter and the disciples can recount, when Peter himself can recount how how he dropped Jesus last minute. When When the arrest of Jesus happened, the disciples followed really closely. In their following, they denied him. They said, We don't know him. But yet, Jesus did not hold on to that. He forgave them and still commissioned them. So when we are called to love and forgive each other, the second thing we're called to do is to, well, excuse me, I'm blanking we are called to work for peace and reconciliation. No. Yes. We are called to work for peace and reconciliation. I'm sorry. The slide will tell us what
0: to do. Okay. The in slide will tell me I'm what sure to it'll do. Tell you.
1: Yeah. The presence of Jesus <laughs> it calls me to love our community with its brokenness. I want to tell you the truth: is we live in a broken world. We don't live in this perfect world. We might live in the Western world that we have all the Western the, the amenities that defines us as civilized, but we are as broken as any other non-civilized world. So the presence of Jesus compels us, this call is for us not to just seek our comfort, but to seek and love out the brokenness of our community by bringing his healing. And then the last part of the the commission that Jesus is commissioned is, is to work for peace and reconciliation. Oh boy, if there's any generation, and I know every generation will say this, if there's any generation that desperately needs to see reconciliation as the forefront of of everything that we say and do, is it reconciliation between families, reconciliation between communities, reconciliation between racial groups, reconciliation between nations, reconciliation between tribes, we are for becoming more tribal. And the prayer, the commission that Jesus calls his disciples, he says, when you... You go, I want you to be a presence of a witness of reconciliation in this broken world.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, uh, okay. Samuel, you're making me tear up. I've got makeup on, okay? can't keep, make me tear up. That's, it's so true, though, and I think that's, that, so like if we could just kind of keep the sequencing going, so what it means to be with is first understanding Jesus' presence for ourselves. And it's out of then that place of Jesus' presence in us that allows us to move and do these things in the communities where we find ourselves. So Samuel, let's get to story time. Tell us, where have you seen this? Like, what does it mean to be a peace witness in the place of the call that God's given you?
1: Uh, you know, last week, uh, Steve, kind of talk about the, the be in the community and just be away, the place, the theology of place. And the compound interest of your consistency of working in a specific location or just your neighborhood. And I tell you, uh, in my own personal journey, the last number of years when, when God called my family to plant a church in Rockford, Illinois, uh, for those of you that don't know where Rockford, Illinois is, it's somewhere at the end of this pew. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's in the U.S. It's in... Illinois. It's a sec- it goes between the second and the third largest city in the state of Illinois. And so when we were there as a church planters, we were planting up at, at, in a typical Anabaptist church. And a typical Anabaptist church means we seek to reflect the peace of Jesus in the community of our calling. So I, I arrive in the, we arrive in this community, and this community is divided by all the isms that you can think of. Racial, socioeconomic, uh basically we have become too tribal. And one of the things that we notice is, is God calls us as a church to be a church that brings reconciliation to this city. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? So we began to network with communities. And it took about five years. Right, and I'm so glad that Steve mentioned. That he said, "When it, it's only after five years that you might begin to see some move," and that does not mean it's static because God doesn't work by the time bound that we have bound for ourselves. But uh, He's just talking sociologically. So, in five years, by the end of the fifth year, as we were really wanting to bring reconciliation between the factoring group, the racial, racially minority community, and and the uh, uh, racially majority community. And just as we thought that things were working, two white police officers shot a teenager in the basement of a black church next to a daycare with about 20 kids. Right? Shot him in cold blood. And as you know, this is before George Floyd. This is before Backtrack, Black Lives Matter. This is way back in 2009. And the city erupted in a riot. And of course, when the riot, it's all come and gone, the news media is gone, and so what? Those compound interest of those relationships that we built began to surge. The community started asking, how can we be, we have heard you talk about this message of peace and reconciliation. We've heard you demonstrated, you've demonstrated it with many things that you've done in the community. And so the question that, People were beginning to ask is, Samuel, what are some ways forward that we can unite? And together with the police department and the community, we formed not just a group that works together. We strategically began to intentionally work to prevent such a future occurrence, and not only prevent the future occurrence, but to be able to say, what are some constructive programming that we can do to prevent such a young man from going off the street and ending up being killed? And so in partnership with the police, the city, and the citizens, compound interest led to us teaming up. And so when, uh, when George Floyd was killed, the story of Rockford is different from the story of cities across America. The story of Rockford is a story that the police and the community express their own grievance at this, together and at the same time. That shows that when we as a church truly take this message of peace, the, the being a peace witness to the communities for which God has called us, I believe that we will see the result in our lifetime. We're not just going to wait until we get to buy and buy the kingdom of God, but I believe that God wants to use us as a church to be an instrument of peace. Even as we, I see our involvement in the Peacemaker campaign, it is one of those things that's life given So come. Yeah,
0: amen. (laughs) If that isn't just a beautiful picture of the church being a peace witness, and your story is is obviously one that uh, it almost truthfully, Samuel, feels a little unattainable. Like, wow, like your church, because of the consistent presence over time, had an impact in an entire city. And I think my propensity just as a a meek follower of Jesus is like, that's lovely, that's never gonna happen for me. But I think if there's one thing I want us to embrace and to hear from a story like that is let's backtrack to day one, not year five of the faithful understanding of what it meant to embrace Jesus' presence Mm -hmm. and then respond to his call to be a peace witness where we are. And that same call is true of us as a church, as the meeting house, and that same call is true of individually us as followers of Jesus. And so as we kind of wind ourselves down, we get to the space of just sort of saying, what is, pay attention to maybe what God is stirring up within you. What is he stirring up within you? Is it, what's? Pay attention to the spirit that he's given you to say, what, what is he saying to you about what it means to be a peace witness, to be with? Where does Jesus want you to be with? And maybe before we even get there, the step that is required for you is to say, Jesus is saying, come embrace my presence for yourself. Come embrace the truth of what it means when my presence is alive in your life. Fear doesn't need to have a space. There's a presence through whatever challenges we have and there's a call to a purpose and that call is to be with others and to then uh, share with them the presence of Jesus. And so that peace witness keeps growing and growing. And the place we wanted to sort of land as we as we uh, finish today are the words of in the other words, of Jesus that actually come a few chapters before Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's almost like Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come. Jesus, in his love and in his goodness, in knowing the journey his disciples will take, says in John 14 these words John 14, 27. It's so well known. He says, This peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Mm. These are the words of Jesus for each of us, knowing that we're gonna experience challenges, knowing that what the world calls peace is actually very different than what the presence of Jesus is able to do. And Samuel, your story is a beautiful example of that. We have the gift of bringing peace to a world in a way that the world can't yet experience. And that's our call. And so Samuel, how do we do this? Like, was we like wrap this up? Give us some give us some takeouts. Give us some yeah, application. Some,
1: we, we, we don't have to, you don't have to imagine going out of this place and start changing a city. But there are some simple applications that you can put in your own daily practice that can be able to enable you to be able to be that peace witness. Listen to others. Yeah. We live in a world that we are, we are always kind of just on a speed dial, telling, telling, telling. Pay attention to how you listen to people. When you listen to people's stories and challenges and respond to it uh, by signing up to volunteer in your community, when you do that, it shows the manifestation because wherever you go, you carry the presence of Jesus with you. And lastly, some of the little things you can do is to adv- be an advocate for peace by your presence. Have you seen any injustice lately? Are there wasted your voice can help to right the wrong. I believe the Spirit of God will speak to us and we'll just take these three points. Mm. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Samuel, for your stories, for the wisdom that you've shared with us. And uh, my invitation for us as we close is to pay attention to how Jesus says we're able to do this. In, in John 14, he says, um, like, I'm leaving you with a gift right? Jesus left his spirit. And he says a little bit earlier, like, you'll do far more than I ever did because of my spirit. So let's be a people that are known and identified by being peace witness wherever we go and know that that's going to look different than what the world gives. So it may feel like it's not quite right that we're going against the grain. And that might exactly be what Jesus is calling us to. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you have always, you've peppered throughout your time on earth and through your word, this message of peace. Oh, in your goodness and in your kindness, you knew full well that we would need to hear that over and over and over again. And I pray that we are a people that by your spirit can truly embrace your presence for ourselves that we truly, we, we truly encounter you and our lives are changed by you, but God, may it not stop there. May that just compel us to action, compel us to be with, compel us to be a presence wherever you have placed us, our own families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of work, God, may we not overcomplicate this. May we simply be faithful to the call you've given us wherever you have placed us. And then we pray that by what only your power can do, that there is a movement of peace, a movement of peace as we have defined our culture, our neighborhoods, our world as a place of polarization, as a place of divisiveness, God, I truly believe that by your presence, that can change. And we invite you to move through us and with us, partner with us to be a peacemaking agent, a presence wherever you have placed us and may there be transformation because of it. And we pray all of this in your name, amen.